Welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast, where reverence meets relevance. We are currently in a six-part series titled The Circle Maker, based on and around the book by Pastor Mark Batterson. In this series, we'll discover that passionate prayer is a necessity to tap into God's extraordinary life. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message. Love that dude. Love that dude. We're going to have him here speak one Sunday. He and I were talking on the phone this week, working that out. That's going to happen. How are you guys doing today? Yeah? Good. Yeah, you can clap. I'm assuming you're clapping for God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Glad you are here. Welcome to New Hope Church and this all-important subject matter. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, let's just get right into the Word. No need to play around. Amen? Welcome to everybody here at the Central Campus. Welcome to the Garner Community of Faith, New Hope Garner. Welcome to the North Carolina Correctional Institute of Women. Welcome to those of you in Sanford who are getting ready and pumped up and getting excited about starting a campus in Sanford. And I hope that some of you here, and if you are, meet me in the Student Ministry Center next Sunday during the 1010 service. Pastor Nate will be there talking with you, but I will stop by. And uh, man, that is coming quick. October 21st, we are launching that campus, and we are fired up about it. Uh, welcome to the Internet Campus. Welcome to the Latino Campus, any and everyone who is a part of our church. So if you were here last week, I told you about a legend, a legend of the circle maker. How many of you, I don't even need to show of hands because I was actually a little discouraged last week. Um, how many of you have not bought this book again. You don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. But if you've not bought this book, look, look at me, look at me. You and me, just right here. I'm begging you to buy my good friend Mark Batterson's book. And if you can't afford it, if that's what's up, let me know. Let me know. But I, I got a hunch that's probably not the problem. Okay, go get this book. It'll change the way you pray, and when you change the way you pray, it changes your life. Amen? But I shared with you last week how the book is founded upon Hani, the circle maker. And it was about the, it was in the first century BC. It was coming off the silent era, the, what scholars call the dark era. God had not been speaking or they had not been hearing. The prophets of Israel had died. This particular area in and around Jerusalem was dying of a drought. Their crops were dead. They were close to death due to no water. And Hani, the circle maker, in the middle of the community one day, took out a six-foot staff and drew a circle, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He drew this circle, and then he dropped down on his knees in the midst of the community and told God in front of the community, how about this for a prayer? God, I'm not coming out of the circle until you send rain. That's what I'm talking about. And the people, the, the people of the Sanhedrin community ridiculed him. They thought he was ridiculous praying such a bold prayer. And at that point in time, a, a little drizzle, drizzle started to, to clap the ground. And they started to clap and praise God and celebrate. 
And honey, the circle maker said, oh God, if I might be so bold, that's not the kind of rain I was asking for. How about a little audacity? And, uh, and then God flung open a torrential rain. And it was so hard and so torrential that the, the people scurried into the villages. And, and Hani again said, God, I, I hate to tell you this, but, but I have great faith. And I believe you can send a, a, a well-proportioned rain. And a, and, and a beautiful proportionate rain started to fall upon the community. And because of the prayers of an old sage who had a bold hairy, audacious faith. God stepped in, saved the community, and the legend of the circle maker was born. Thus, the beginning of the book, thus the beginning of the story that, that, that Batterson uses to kind of give us a new prayer dialect, give us a new way of thinking about things, a new language, praying circles around things. In fact, I would say that I think that's one of the, the greatest gifts of this book is the new language that it gives us to talk about and understand prayer. Batterson says this, listen, God is not offended by our bold prayers. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's probably in your bulletin. God is not offended by our bold prayers. He is offended by anything less. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God, can I get an amen? Listen, guys, we talked about this last week. I'm just going to hit it real quickly, and then I'm going to move on. Are you praying any bold prayers this week? I think the, I think the bold prayer temperature around this church is kind of warming up a little bit. God is still looking for circle makers. And the timeless truth secreted within this ancient legend is as true now as it was then. Listen, bold prayers honor God. And God honors bold prayers. Can I tell you something? Now, this, again, I need to probably take out my teaching notes because I'm not sure what all we put in there. I'm not sure if this is in there, but, but do take out your teaching notes. Grab that pen. You'll see this on the screen. Watch this. If your prayers aren't impossible to you and others, there's a good chance they are insulting to God. I mean, if your prayers aren't impossible, bold, hairy, audacious, kind of make you look a little foolish at times. There's a good chance, church, that those prayers are insulting to God. And you might say, well, why, pastor? Here's why. Because they don't require any divine intervention. But you ask God, hello, to part the Red Sea. You ask God to make the sun stand still. You, well, she said... <laughs> I'm talking about. I got something brewing inside of me one day, by the way. I'm coming in here soon, and I'm going to bust up in here. And I'm going to talk to you about the difference between the way in which the African-American church worships and responds to preaching and the way in which the white church responds to preaching. And just in case you're wondering, the reason that's brewing up inside of me is because I want you African-Americans to feel free to talk back to me. Because listen, Mr. or Miss Whitey, you don't understand. The African-American church gets up in the thing. They participate in the message with me. You know what I'm saying? They, see, see, they stand up. You see, they stand up and they get in the message. They, well, heck. 
Hey, scratch the message. I'm just going to preach it now. They, they help the preacher preach. And when you don't, if, you, if you're off a little bit, they even help you get back on track. They'll say, help him, Lord. I love that. I love that. Where in the heck was I? It's really, it's really coming. I actually already have an outline in my mind. Um, because see, see, I wish it was the late service. We could talk about this more. I'm just be yourself. Worship in the way that feels right to you. And don't worry, this isn't weird. We are now by far one of the most diverse churches in the nation. So, so, so we need to act like it. I need to move on. What was I saying when she said, well? I said, if you ask God to part the Red Sea, make the sun stand still, beloved, or float an axe head in water, God is moved to omnipotent action because your prayer now needs divine intervention. There is nothing that God loves more than keeping his promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. That is who he is. That's like his sweet spot. And before you're ever going to start to pray bold prayers, you've got to understand this very important imperative before we go any further today, and it is this. God is for you. Some of you don't pray bold prayers, and some of you don't expect God to strut his stuff in your life because you are not convinced that God is for you. So repeat it with me. God is for you. Again, God is for you. Again, God is for you. Let's flip it. God is for me. God is for me. Again, God is for me. One more time. Come on. God is for me. If you don't believe that, you will pray small, little, timid. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking right now. Sissy prayers. The transcript of your prayers, beloved, becomes the script of your life. Did you hear me? The transcript of your prayers, Batterson says in this book, becomes the script of your life. I remember, I remember, Amy Lynn, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you, do you remember how, honey, we used to, we used to drive up and down uh, Fayetteville Road, and she was so patient because I tell her, pull into that little country house, pull into that little country farm, pull into that one. And we would stop, and often if she wasn't with me, I would walk. I mean, I walked up and down Fayetteville Road because God had told me, listen, you will pastor a church, and this will be the epicenter of the New Hope movement. And so we would, we would knock on doors and nonstop knock on doors. And every little farmhouse I came to, the, the person would tell me, hey, we're not selling. Get out of here. One lady told me that. Or they would say, we're sorry, pastor, but we've already signed agreements with future home developers. So I literally knocked on every single door from South Point Mall all the way down Fayetteville Road till it Forks right there with 751. Nothing. 
Struck out time and time and time. But I kept praying it. I didn't know this language back then. I kept circling it in prayer, circling it in prayer, circling it in prayer. Trying not to lose faith. And right when I, you know, I probably had slacked off in my praying, but I was still praying for it. We're standing at the North Carolina State Fair on a Friday night with my entire family. It wasn't work. It wasn't ministry related. We're just there at the prayer. And we're standing in the line. You remember this? To ride a ride. There is a gentleman standing right in front of us. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. But you might figure out that I'll talk to about anybody. So I struck up a conversation with this cat. Next thing I know, I'm discovering that his name is Johnny McConnell. Johnny McConnell is one of the men who moves the most amount of dirt in central North Carolina. John McConnell happened to know a little old couple that lived in a little old farmhouse, which is now our Hope House, which is right as you go out to the right, right there on the right. Johnny happened to know this couple that lived in that house. And next thing I know, Johnny and I are scheduling and taking each other's phone number down. We're meeting that week. And within like two months, we had an agreement signed with that elderly man for 27 acres of land. Then I started to build a relationship with the man. I'd stop by there every now and then and just visit this, this old man. And uh, he got sick and he was getting ready to die. And because we had built up this relationship and this rapport, he let it be known right before he died, I want to sell the final nine acres to that pastor in this church. So we came out of it with not 27 acres, but 36 acres. All because, I believe... We didn't stop praying. We didn't give up. I'm going to talk about that today. And that is a consistent, persistent, tenacious prayer life. Listen, church, God honors bold prayers. Because bold prayers honor God. Do you have your Bibles open to Joshua? Joshua. We're going to look at a great, great passage of Scripture. I think you would want to stand in honor of God's Word. What do you say? Here we go. Joshua chapter 6. Verses 1 through 16. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. On the what day? No, keep circling. Keep circling. And on the seventh, march around seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound of a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance! March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward. Blowing their trumpets and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets. And the rear guard followed the ark. 
All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Hello. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city circling circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city. How many times? Seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout! For the Lord has given you the city. And how's the old nursery rhyme go? And the walls came tumbling down. <laughs> right? Right? Father, would you take your word? Would you speak through it? Would the walls in our own lives come tumbling down? Father, would you, would you bless us today? God, we need you to move in our midst. We circle our stuff in prayer. Be a big God. This we pray in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Put your notes back in front of you. Grab that pen. After seven days of circling Jericho. Jericho, by the way, beloved, was only about a 12-acre city. 12 acres. Picture it. Not big as you sometimes think. God delivered on a 400-year-old promise. He proved once again that his promises don't have, are you listening, expiration dates. 400 years, God's prayers, our prayers don't expire. If you keep circling the promise, are you listening? I just feel like some of you need to hear this. If you keep circling the promise, God will ultimately deliver on it. I believe that. And some of you are like, well, pastor, you don't know how long I've been praying for something. No, I don't. But I want you to know that I've been praying for some things 22 years now. So I do know what it's like to pray for something for a long period of time. I want to slow down a lot because I want to ask some penetrating questions today. And here is the first one. What is your Jericho? What do you need... To circle in prayer over and over and over again. And I'm going to let some periods of silence settle in. What's your Jericho? What, what promises are you praying around? What miracles are you marching around or needing to start march around? What, what dream does your life revolve around? If you're taking notes, write this down. Listen, here's the first key point. Drawing prayer circles starts with identifying your Jericho. 
the miracle that you need. The answer to prayer that you need. I am fully aware that some of that might be way too personal for you to talk about. You've got to define the promises that you need in your life. And here's the problem. Some of us, because we never take time to pray, because we never slow down enough, because we are on this rat race vicious cycle of life, because we never practice some of the rhythm stuff. Remember the rhythm conference we had about a month ago? We never practice any of the rhythm stuff. When I ask you, what is your Jericho? You're like, I don't have a flipping clue. Because when I go really fast in life or you go really fast in life and we don't take time to identify our Jericho, we, we don't know. I mean, like, we really don't know. It's, it's as nebulous as the, the cumulus clouds outside today. It's like we, we don't know. Most of us, listen, don't get what we want simply because, come on, come on, come on. We don't know what we want. What is your Jericho? If you're a good Bible turner, go over to Mark 10. You don't have to because I'm not going to read the passage, but you, you're going to, you might want to look at it as I say a few words. Mark chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. Now in this passage, it's very interesting to me. There's a, there's a kind of biblical connection to this passage. This is a thousand years later, and Jesus is on his way, wouldn't you know it, to Jericho. And as he's on his way to Jericho, Jesus is confronted by two blind men. People were flocking to Jesus. And two blind men come up to Jesus. And they say, son of David, have mercy on us. And look at what Jesus does in the passage. It is quite fascinating. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Hello, Jesus, don't you think it's pretty obvious? Two blind men. He could look at them and tell they were blind. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus forces the issue and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Would you allow the Son of God today to whisper to you, what do you want me to to do for you. Because there is something powerful in identifying that. Would you be able to spell out, listen, I'm asking you, just you and me, don't worry about anybody else around you. Would you be able to spell out the promises, the miracles, the dreams that you want him to do for you? Would you? If not, it's okay. Now's the time to begin. To, see, some of, some of us don't even dream anymore. We've stopped dreaming that life could be awesome. We've stopped dreaming that, that God could actually fulfill that prayer that I used to pray all the time. We don't, we don't imagine anymore. 
And I would say we don't imagine anymore, quite possibly because we don't pray anymore. And we don't pray anymore because we don't imagine anymore. Do you see? It's a vicious cycle. Hebrews 11.1, 1, do you know it? Most of you know it. It's a great verse. Live your life on faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Can you say it with me? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Come on, church. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's faith, right? Right, right, right. Faith is, leave it up there. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. If that is true, and I believe it is, and so do you, that's why you're here, then don't you think the antithesis of faith is not being sure of what we hope for? You see it? Like if you're not sure anymore of what you hope for, you've stopped living a life of imagination. You've stopped living a life of dreaming big dreams for your marriage, dreaming big dreams for your kids, dreaming big dreams for your vocational life, dreaming big dreams for your educational life, dreaming big dreams for whatever you fill in the blank. You've stopped doing that because you don't even know what you really want anymore. Oh, don't, don't miss this. Write, write this down. Hopefully it's in your notes. I don't know. Well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers. And well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. Oh. Well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers. And well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. Like the two blind men outside of Jerusalem. Listen, you and I need an encounter with the Son of God, and you need to answer the question. He is still asking. Here it is one more time before I move on. What do you want me to do for you? Marinate on that one for a week. Wrestle that one to the ground. There's a card in your bulletin. It's the Circle Maker Challenge. I laid this out for you last week for those of you who aren't here. It's the Circle Maker Challenge. Here's how you wrestle it to the ground. Here it is. It's on that card. Everybody should have that. Gave you a bookmark last week. This week we're giving you this. Here's the challenge. Set a specific time and each day pray. There it is. Pray daily. Pray daily. And here's why. This is kind of a benefit to prayer. Not only is prayer an opportunity for me to pray to God and tell God my heart, oh, my lanta, don't miss this. Prayer is the time that God starts whispering back to us. How many of you have ever prayed? How many of you have ever prayed? And when you get into the prayer, you get all kind of distractions going on and your mind thinks about all kinds of other stuff that you need to do, you know, what I do this, do that, got to fill the car with gas, got to pay this bill, got to get the kid here. How many of you have had that happen? Everybody. Okay. Check it out, though. Get you a little pad of paper and write down the distractions because some of that is just noise. Some of that's the enemy trying to distract you. But if you can press through that, and I would say this, don't always conclude that it's just a distraction from the enemy and it's noise. Listen, sometimes I have learned, oh, I've learned this, and I had, had, had it happen Monday. I lit a candle on Monday, got praying, was praying over the staff, praying over the church, praying over you. And I'm telling you, the prayer time just went longer and longer and longer, not because I was saying much, but because God was just whispering. Those divine promptings. I mean, when I got finished praying, I, I knew, I mean, I knew what I needed to do this week. When you pray, yes, we communicate with God, but God starts whispering back. And with that still small voice, 
we start to hear what we really want. We start to hear our hearts. We start to strip away the clutter of life and God starts to whisper who you are on the inside and you start to get traction on answering this all-important question, what is my Jericho? Drawing prayer circles. Here's the second thing I'd say about prayer circles today. Drawing prayer circles involves praying with specificity. With what? Drawing prayer circles involves praying with specificity. I mean, guys, it's not just saying, and I'm so guilty of this, especially on the run prayers. Lord, bless the world. Lord, bless the church. Lord, bless the family. Amen. (laughs) And that's one kind of prayer, and it's better than nothing. But imagine when you take that several layers deeper. God, bless the world and help us live at peace with one another. God, bless our governmental officials. I might not agree with them, but Lord, your word tells me to submit to them. Lord, bless my family. Not just God, bless my wife. Lord, bless my wife. I know that she's working on this or she's struggling with this. Or God, she's got this big thing coming up at work. or She's got this. Lord, bless my husband. God, he's been struggling lately. And then you penetrate into that and you pray. God, bless our children. Like Batterson just wrote a book, Praying Circles Around Your Children, in the Resource Center. Little, smaller book. Oh, my Lord, get it. Praying Circles Around Your Children. Do you pray for your children? Not just God bless my children, but like here's what I do. Like I pray for my children. I pray for who they're going to marry. Like I pray for that person. I pray for their virginity until they get married. I pray for their education. I pray for the calling upon their life. I mean, praying with specificity makes all the difference in the world. And when you do pray like that, then again, let me just say it one more time. God starts to whisper back promptings that as you mature in Christ and you start to follow those promptings, you and God start to kind of do a dance in life. Because listen, if I hadn't said this, I don't know if I've said this yet, I need to. Listen, if you just pray about things and you just like say, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything about it, God, I'm just going to leave it all up to you, God might answer it. But it's been my experience that it usually doesn't work that way. Here's how I live my life, by the way. I pray like everything depends totally upon God and I work like it depends upon me. Did you hear me? I pray like everything depends upon God, but I work like everything depends upon me and something mysteriously happens when those two meet up. And so you pray and you get these promptings, you get these whispers, and you start to act on it and you start to live this life in this beautiful dance with God where you're communing with him and you're talking with him and and he's leading you and you're participating in it and then he's doing the things that only he can do. It is incredible. Delight yourself. Look what the Bible says. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your what? Heart. Psalm 37, 4. But again, do you know what the desires of your heart are? What's what's your Jericho? And when you discern what your Jericho is, then you start praying with great specificity for those things. Then God starts to whisper to you. You start to listen to him because, listen, Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. Come on. And I know them and they See? see. See how it all starts to work? 
So when I know what my Jericho is, and you can have 10 Jerichos, 12 Jerichos, you might have one big Jericho. You start praying about that specifically, not being ashamed to pray big, bold prayers in which you want God to answer in your life. And here's the third thing I'd say, praying, drawing prayer circles. And in your bulletin, in your bulletin, it says this, drawing prayer circles and balls praying with consistency. Let's see. What's he saying? The office staff didn't catch this, and um, I, I made a mistake. Here's, here's what I do. I'm going to let you inside to my little world here. In my study at the house where I do all my sermon prep, I have a Mac speech, and Mac speech is a very uh, sophisticated program with my MacBook. I put on a headset, and I speak in my sermon and most of my emails. So I'm walking around my study and I'm speaking in emails or I'm writing letters or I'm preaching sermons. So I'm preaching sermons. Like, so it's really amazing. The accuracy is unbelievable. It's like 85 to 90% accuracy because it knows my voice now. Oh, John 10, 27. I just made a connection there. Max book knows my voice. Um, and it shall follow me. Well, <laughs> well, well, I, um, one time I sent a very important email to a very important person about a very important subject matter, but I was in a hurry. And so I, 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 sent, I spoke the email in and I read the email to make sure it was good, but I didn't read off on my signature. And I usually sign things because of Jesus, Pastor Benji. This got there to the person they emailed me back two days. They said, did you notice your signature? It said, because of Jesus, Pastor Bitchy. So, so, so this week it was drawing prayer circles involves. Do you hear it? Involves and balls. <laughs> Julie, you got to read my teaching notes, girl. Drawing prayer circles and balls. Right, scratch it out, put involves in your teaching notes. <laughs> drawing prayer circles involves praying with, let's get back on track, consistency. Consistency. It's okay if I'm having a bad day for you to walk up to me and say, hey, Pastor Bitchy. It's okay. You can say that to me and we'll laugh and high five one another. Listen, church, there is no expiration date on our prayers. Can I get an amen? They don't expire. You might... You might recall last weekend that I said one of the greatest tragedies in life, and if you, if you missed last Sunday, I'm glad I'm repeating this so you can get this. One of the greatest tragedies in life has to be the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. You with me? One of the greatest tragedies in life are the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. And I thought this week as I was speaking into my Mac speech, I thought this. The second greatest tragedy have to be, has to be this. The prayers that go unanswered because I stopped praying them prematurely. Because I give up. Can I admit to you that a great challenge for me, a great challenge for me, and it's a theological challenge, a great challenge for me is my tendency to pray things, and because I've got such a high theology of who God is and how awesome he is, that I can have a tendency to stop praying and the reason I stopped praying is because I assume God knows it. I've already told him. Why do I have to tell him again? Why do I have to ask? Do you feel that theological tension? Some of you, yeah, you with me? And so I'll, I'll pray and I'll cover it, man. I'll circle that bad boy. I'll hit the details. I pray with great specificity. But sometimes I stop praying 
Because I'm thinking God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's all those. He knows my prayer request. He hasn't forgotten. (laughs) And even though that is a theologically true statement, the reality is Scripture challenges me and calls me to keep praying with consistency. Go to Luke 18. Those of you who turn in the Bibles, Luke 18. And while you're turning there, because we're going to end there today, while you're turning there, I want to talk to you about push prayer. About what? Push prayer. P-U-S-H. It's will change the way you pray. You pray until something happens. Say it with me. Pray until something happens. It is a tenacious prayer. It is a consistent prayer. It is a prayer of shameless audacity where I lock on to my Jericho, my needs, and I won't stop praying for them until God steps in. In Luke 18, an amazing passage of Scripture. We were in Mark, if you turn there. Luke 18. In Luke 18, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. I love this parable. One of my, I don't know, there's just something unique about this parable. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. To show them that they should always pray and what church? Not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. You prayed a prayer like that before, hadn't you? widow comes to a judge judge doesn't care about God it's a parable remember it's a story grant me justice against my adversary for some time he refused that is the judge but finally he said to himself even though I don't fear God or care what people think yet because this mm, tenacious consistent, shameless, audacious. I'm just inserting some words here, but you get the picture. Widow keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she eventually won't come and attack me. This widow was no joke, man. This widow would jack you up. When you study the language, I'm I'm not making this stuff up on the spot. I promise you, for you biblical scholars, go check it out. When you study the Greek, the Greek connotes that what the the judge is saying there, I'm going to answer this old widow or she's going to come and give me a black eye. It's a boxing terminology. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust just. So Jesus steps back out of the parable. Now Jesus says, you know, he, he does that. He throws parables out. Then he steps back. He says, now listen to this. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Push. Like the persistent widow. 
in Luke 18. Push. Push in your prayer life. Pray until something happens. Gypsy Smith uh, never had a formal day of education. Yet he lectured at Harvard. Never had a formal day of education, and yet he was invited to the White House by two different presidents. Around 100 years ago, he crossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times. He never preached to a crowd where at least one person didn't give their life to Jesus Christ. He was an incredible revival preacher. The community gathered around him one day after a revival service and they said, you got to be on your way. We understand that. But will you teach us how to create and sustain revival like you bring to us when you come? True story. He paused and he thought for a moment. He said, if you want a revival, here's what you do. Go to your bedroom, lock yourself in the bedroom, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, and pray that revival will start in the circle. Drawing prayer circles, beloved, starts with identifying your Jericho. Drawing prayer circles involves praying with great specificity and drawing prayer circles in your life involves praying with consistency praying until something happens we've intentionally structured worship today where we're going to give you some time to pray about this All of our campuses, Garner, rest of the campuses, NCCIW, those of you on the internet, you can just kind of pause in this moment. But like, guys, I think one of the problems with church, we might do this kind of stuff more often lately, by the way. I kind of had some epiphanies on my sabbatical. I think one of the problems with church is that it sometimes mirrors our everyday life too much such that it's, it, we don't have any pauses. We don't, we don't have any pregnant moments of silence. We, 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 we just kind of keep going fast. And what if in church every now and then we just, we just pulled back and slowed it all down so we could just sit and be still? Like, I think the Quaker tradition is on to something there. Don't worry, we're not going Quaker. Don't worry. But we're going to do an amazing song in a moment. Amazing song. But before we get to that, we're going to bring the lights down. And I want you to sit in this moment, in this environment. And ask God to start revealing to you now. By the way, He won't do it all today. We don't have enough time. But God... What is my Jericho? What have I stopped dreaming for? What have I stopped praying for? What have I stopped believing for? What, is, what are those deep, deep desires in my heart? Start recording those. So that you might start praying specifically for those things, for those people, for those needs, for you. specifically and consistently.
when you do, and when he starts leading you how to have that dance with him where he's doing that which only he can do and you're doing what he's calling you to do. Beloved, the life of faith becomes the life that you've always longed for deep inside anyway, which is why you're here today. What is your Jericho? Let us bow our heads, close our eyes, and commune with our God. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you'd like to financially support the movement of New Hope Church, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.